0: Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew, Meredith, we are recording. Welcome to this Australian Investors Podcast episode, mate. It's good to be back. Two cents. Two cents, you're going to get probably less than that today because one of us is offering, uh, operating on very little sleep. The other one is also operating on very little sleep.
1: So <laughs> For very different reasons. <laughs> very we won't We won't. let <laughs> you guess who.
0: Um, so we are answering questions today. We're going to do our usual update. There's a two cents episode every Saturday morning, 7 a.m. in your inbox. If you haven't already subscribed, please subscribe. And if you haven't left us a review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. Is it iTunes? Apple Podcasts. Spotify, Spotify. If you use, I think you have to listen. You have oh, to listen to do, to do a review on Spotify. There's actually yeah. some legitimacy to that. But if you're on Apple, like I am, just go ahead and whack five stars. That'd be wonderful. Thank you very much. Um, but today we we have plenty of questions. We're talking about. There's a lot of like companies and like beginner portfolios that have come through today, which would be quite interesting. But Drew, what have you been working on?
1: A lot. Oh. <laughs> I always have to come and take stock before all of these and, and go check through my calendar because it can be... That's what I do too. Yeah, yeah, same as yours, quite fast-paced every week. Yep. I mean, we had the pleasure of that ChatGPT masterclass oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we hosted this week. So that was how do you use ChatGPT within your financial advice business or in your marketing or in your preparation of documents. It was super interesting. Um, and then just keeping up with markets and economics as always.
0: Yeah, you're a big fiend for economics, okay. as we know, Drew is the, or Andrew, Drew's alter ego is the master of this.
1: There was uh, a few big, there. the Morningstar Investor Conference, there was a few big quotes that came out of that during the week, I'm sure you tuned in.
0: Well, actually, I was doing a reno this week, so I was actually- um,
1: <laughs> Working from home?
0: Yeah, I was working from home, um, and I was just listening to AusBiz in the background, Yeah, and I did sit, hear a few crosses to the Morningstar Conference, which Mark Lamonica, when I saw him in Sydney not too long ago said that.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was your insight? Oh, there were two really interesting ones. So, Rajiv Jain, who's... I'm not sure if you've ever interviewed him no. from GQG. Um, he was talking about being... Well, you want to be long the US again and long US big tech. Yep. On the basis that big US... Big, this is like Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft, just because their earnings power and their cash flow is so strong. Mm-hmm. So, that was kind of interesting. Uh, and then one of, probably the bigger one was covered in all the press this morning was Australian Super coming out and talking about their property portfolio. I'm not well, sure if you saw what that. What were they saying now? He said, uh, so I think it was Mark Delaney, the CIO, came and said the performance of their property investments within their fund had been really disappointing. Air quotes? Air quotes. Okay. Uh, and talking about how they'd done a lot of investment in retail and uh, hospitality rather than in industrial and logistics. And they, been, they, were, they were basically freezing allocations to unlisted property for a period of time well, they work work out the assets that they have. I think one of them, if you've ever been to Honolulu, I think they own a mm, massive, yeah. um, great, what's it called, the massive shopping center? Why
0: would you do air quotes? That's what I'm more concerned about. There's an actual quote. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> that's how we do it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Because <laughs> no one can see. see. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I feel this like air quotes day. is normally like, like
1: a sarcastic oh, oh, quote. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, not sarcastic. Yeah, okay. It was so, quoted in the Australian Financial Review. As saying? Really disappointing.
0: Okay, right. That makes sense. Well, that would make sense. Sounded like you this morning. I, I feel like you've been doing this for, like you've been you've been talking about this for a very long time. Like since I've known you, you've been talking yeah. about the big industry funds and their
1: unlisted allocations. Yeah, try not to be too vocal. Yeah, true. Like you on Twitter occasionally. Oh, um, mate, give me a break. No, but but uh, I mean, it's just this, uh, and a few people, I mean, different groups are calling, I think Morningstar and a few other groups are talking about a lot, which is, uh, Unlisted assets, including private equity, venture capital, great asset classes, unlisted property, definitely infrastructure, great long-term asset classes. Mm -hmm. But having large allocations relies on your fund constantly receiving new contributions to be able to have liquidity for the people who are retired and drawing money out. Yeah. Otherwise, you get into a a liquidity trap. Exactly. Not saying there's any liquidity trap or anything around, but it's a natural challenge. And then you've had this, um, not unexpected, but maybe unexpected at the pace that interest rates have gone up. And we know every asset in particular property and infrastructure is priced off interest rates so if you can get a Mm. term deposit of five percent you expect more than five percent from your from your property so you've had this kind of dual hit from interest rates uh and even usage coming through that has likely impacted valuations and coming into focus a lot do
0: you have any exposure to REITs or anything like that
1: we have a little bit within portfolios uh we kind of bought it we, our view was buy it on the cheap, so we looked at Vicinity, owner of Chadston, uh, and bought that mm. during the pandemic. Um, and then we've held, uh, obviously not personal advice, we held one of the Charter Hall listed diversified trusts.
0: I'm pretty sure you're giving me that advice. <laughs> so that is, uh, if you're listening, uh, that is, uh, you'll hear from my lawyers. Um, so <laughs> um, No, so yeah, so... Okay, so the char- charter hole, like which one? The long the whale. The long whale, yep.
1: essentially. So something completely different, and that's like logistic centers. I think there might be service stations and similar assets in there. I know there's service stations. I don't think there is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those very 15-year leased assets as an alternative source of income and revenue diversification.
0: Yeah, right. Um, and
1: you've been quite vocal this week.
0: Yeah, there's a few things on your list I've got to get to. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I'm just um, doing a reno this week, and... Um, yeah, I got in a bit of a. I don't know. It's like, well, I said <laughs> on Twitter.
1: You just got called a finny, by the way. Did you know? Where? You're a finny.
0: I'm a finny. Am I? I don't know what that means. A finfluencer, for short. Okay, right. Well, um, I was. We were called very broy, and I just stopped the bro, <laughs> because we've got skewed too far male. On the podcast so so we need to dial down the broy. is what i've been told on the Maybe way. stop saying bro so many times <laughs> yeah okay no worries bro um <laughs> so anyway no we, we yeah so um yeah i mean finney that's the first time i've heard that one but um i did get in a bit of a tiff with scott papes twitter <laughs> handle this week not scott Pape's twitter handle <laughs> no because so a little while ago everyone knows scott Pape, Barefoot investor he, said, he wrote his email saying that he's given up social media and whatever. Yeah, uh, Andrew Deremuth's got bare feet in the studio right now, just so you know. And he said, like, I'm giving up social media and, like, good on him, actually, I say. Um, but then anyway, I always just happened to be randomly going through Twitter and realized that I'd followed Scott Pape. And I clicked on the profile, and he has, like, 27,000 followers, as you'd expect. But then he had, like, one – he was following one account – Right. And this one account was like fifth gen Aussie or something. Right. It was some bizarre account and it had like all of this stuff on there. Like you wouldn't normally associate Associa- with the barefoot investor. Yeah. Like you can imagine what was on this Twitter account. And I was like, this can't be right. <laughs> Why is this guy like following that and i was like this is a fake account and i called it out you know i was like this is
1: definitely a fake account <laughs> how, how far in the rabbit hole were you yeah, i was on twitter this was like a week who and scott got was following
0: yeah i don't know and then other people on twitter were like yeah no it seems to make sense like it seems like it could be dodgy because like why would he supposedly be following this thing and there's a lot of facts like we get heaps of um imposter accounts following us on social media instagram twitter wherever to the extent that we have to pay for verification on all the platforms. And also, I've got an NFT from my picture on Twitter because it, I know that the scammers won't go to the effort of creating their own NFT, which looks like the NFT that I've created and then leaking that to a Twitter Blue subscription. Anyway, so I was like, this, I'm calling, I said "I said something like, I'm calling bullshit on this account. I don't think it's real. And they're like, please email us, like, Scott at barefootinvestor.com. And I was like, Oh. Well, well, so, I went. So, I know. So, I went. Like, I know. So, like, on his uh, email page, it says, like, I have 400,000 followers. If even 1% of those reply to me every week, you get the picture. Like, I'm not going to be able to respond. <laughs> so, I was like, well, that's a very, like, convenient thing. It's on yours too, isn't it? So, I was like, nah. So, I said, I'm like, done. That's it. This is fake account for sure. I'm like, you know. Um, then, anyway, they ju- jumped into my DMs <laughs> and uh, started messaging. And and the count goes, oh hey, on you know, this is Louise from the Barefoot Investor, and blah blah. blah. I'm like, I don't believe it. Like, I kept, like, I was like, I was pretty clear. Like, if if you're impersonating someone, I'm not standing for it. So then, she updated the website <laughs> to say, you know, I'm still on social media, I just don't use it. So then I knew for sure, like, unless they control the Barefoot Investor website and the domain. And the Twitter account. Like, you I'm were actually. Wrong. I was Is this an apology? Yeah, I said an apology. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I, you know, I'm just trying to look out for the brand, right? Um, you can blame it on lack of sleep. Lack of sleep. Um, I'm not the one with three hours, though. Uh, and that's it. Then I did a top five stocks with Self Love, talked about zero, which I own, Prometicus, which I own, Technology One, uh, uh, Altium, and Objective Corp. Um, decided on Saturday that I would do a reno of the bathroom and kitchen before this Saturday. In which, a week. Yeah, so in a week. So, haven't had much sleep. Um, paint all over my hands. And that's about it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, not much. Not much. <laughs> had to check the went calendar to, for that.
0: Went to dinner last night with uh, yourself and uh, the team at Australian Ethical, which Why is really dinner? nice. Um, it's great to meet some advisors from in and around Melbourne as well, some really top talent. So, it's great.
1: Yeah, Good Great dinner, too. RU, A-R-U. A-R-U. aru, yeah. I A-R-U? Yep. I don't know what it, But it's really and, nice. Uh, yep.
0: That's now on my list. Like, it's up there with, like, Chin Chin and all that. Yeah, very much. Yeah, very good. Um, so, you did a masterclass. Uh, We've got a lot of questions to get to, but did you see the government budget?
1: Yeah, I did and that- um,
0: Victorian government f- budget. We're going to make this very narrowly focused Victorian, to Victoria yeah. for a moment because it is quite an unusual budget. <laughs> what do they call the
1: pandemic credit card? <laughs>
0: Bad Essentially,
1: <laughs> I think they, uh, everyone's talking about the debt. You know, Victorian government debt ballooning to something like 140 billion, yes, some, right. some yeah, some some significant amount, which usually wouldn't matter too much. But when interest rates have gone from no, zero to 3.85%, your interest payments are starting to increase. Then uh, I, the the media, I'm not sure about the people, growing increasingly concerned, mm. uh, but policy response has basically been we need to increase taxes to start paying this off, even if it has a, a limited impact. So, a lot of complaints about the budget. Uh, basically, higher payroll tax to big groups, land tax on people that have more than one uh, house, and some, I don't think, these changes to stamp duty, and then cuts across the public sector. When you say public sector cuts, generally that means people's jobs, jobs yep. which is a nice way to say like an incredibly <laughs> negative thing. Uh, but it's, I know. All, and part of this is coming from inflation and interest rates at the same time. So um, if unemployment ticks up, and I think the public sector has been one of the biggest contributors to lower unemployment, have been massive employers of uh, kind of last resort in the last few years, this could start triggering those things that would see interest rates fall. fall. <laughs> and also confirming that bias okay, was go on. the New Zealand Central Bank came out i think it was only this morning or overnight um it's been a busy few days mm-hmm. that essentially surprised the market by saying they're about to end rate hikes at five and a half percent wow they're at five we're at 3.85 so they've gone a lot more aggressively and they yeah. were citing the impact on consumer spending so people are starting to spend less but also the property market are weakening significantly mm. Mm. and did you look at the universal stores I, Report.
0: Did, I did see an update, yes, and Jazz Harrison on the RAS Media website did cover it. First search result in Google yep. on Jazz. Um, yeah, which we'll get to because there's a question on that. Um, there's been, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, did you, ma- ma- you want to jump into that now?
1: No, it's more just what the, like we're talking about. Naturally, the impact of interest rates should be to slow consumption mm. and to oh, slow yeah. credit, so less lending. Yep. I don't think it's going to be. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that part later. But universal stores came out and dropped by twenty five percent overnight, and they blamed higher inflation because and people spending less, but also increasing help help debts. So the impending shut- increase to your help desk de- debt debt uh, as a reason that people were less confident or young people were less confident to spend. Universal stores being quite a a youth or younger person focused. Yeah. You might be in that age cohort. I don't know if I I'm am. Certainly not,
0: Finny. I don't know if a Finny's in that. Fin- I'm, I'm post-pranking. Finny and a mini. <laughs> um, I was just trying to find the Universal Store um, question because I was trying to find when that was sent into us because we did get a question on this, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'm just wondering if this was pre or post.
1: I think it was today, so oh. the question would have been must have been before.
0: Yeah. Right. So, I could have answered it earlier. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I found it was a week earlier. Yeah. Anyway. Um, okay. So we've got to get to some buy, hold, sell. As you know, Drew, this is a <laughs> bit of fun. It's a bit of silliness. Uh, we do buy, hold, sell here on this two cent segment because the rest of the industry does it and it kind of just sends everyone off track and there's really not that much value in it. So we do it here as a bit of tongue in cheek and we insert some other things which are quite interesting. So I'm going to go buy, hold, sell, Drew,
1: for sleep. At the moment, I sell. Sell. Who needs it? <laughs> Buy, hold, sell. If you've had kids before, you can sustain on about three, three. four yeah, hours. that's probably pretty normal. Yeah. What I'm or a renovation.
0: About. Or a renovation. Don't worry about that. Um, buy, hold, sell, Zipco. And just as an update, Zipco is now 56 cents per share. Year-to-date traction down. I just uh, got uh, asked that Omega 0.89%. Really? really? Yep. What they, What was the question?
1: Buy, hold, are sell. Are still having zip. Everywhere I go, this is where we should just wear the finance bro zip on my t-shirt. Um, uh, at the, mo- I mean, it, we. I think we talked about this originally a lot. That zip, are you, are you referring to the change in legislation that came out? Well, that too. But
0: zip said they'll be fine.
1: But um, that's the thing. Zip has always been significantly different to the rest of them because they actually did credit checks, or they they actually did credit checks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and more identification than the most of the other buy now pay later so it's interesting to see it was hit just as hard as anyone else when the new legislation came through even though they mm. suggest that they won't be impacted, that just says the market for buy now pay later continues to shrink you now you've got it's, essentially it's whatever option is easier for me if you want to buy now pay later as soon as you buy something on your apple pay you do it on there or it's on paypal or it's on it's whatever the first button is i think is Is how the winner is gonna be and if you own the infrastructure.
0: But does that make it a good investment? Like is it it could be the first button. It could be losing money to be that button.
1: I mean, PayPal clearly hasn't been a good investment. They're like the first button on everything.
0: But it depends over which time frame. But yeah, I agree. Zip has fallen from twelve dollars thirty (laughs) five to fifty six cents. Um but it is still a $426 million. I just pulled this up in Google, so I may not be correct. $426 million enterprise. So it's still a decent sized business. Um, and just as a pulse check on what's going on uh, on the market, Dubba is 16 cents. So who's feeling it worst? Dubba's 50 million market cap. Yeah. Um, uh, Dubba's definitely felt it worse this year.
1: But anyway, moving on buy, hold, sell, points hacking. I always think about it, but never do it. So I'm probably hold. No hold. I'm trying to get a new credit card at the moment, but really proving slower than expected. Wow.
0: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I um, that's a credit card for you personally or for personal. the business? We just got new ones
1: for the business. Why'd you do that? Uh, I think the business is growing, so trying something different. Yeah. Uh, American Express. I think we a- Amex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Some. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get very anxious talking about these things on air, but yep. for a business, they make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. The way yeah. they the way they run it, and yeah. then credit cards. I think I didn't realize that most a lot of credit companies have holds on increased credit limits. Oh, really? Still, due to pandemic. Oh, really? Um, which kind of which means I have to almost apply for another credit card. And yeah. Noting not not personally advice. <laughs> I'm someone who pays off the entire balance every month in full. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's using it as a as a as a tool that way.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Final buy hold sell, which is going to be topical for folks, is Nvidia, the uh, graphics card business uh, out of the US. Um, can you be
1: a buy for the company, but not for the current price? <laughs> yeah, you can be. So you would be like a buy sell, buy sell. Yeah, yeah. I think incredible company, like so central to every part of AI, to every almost every computer, and streets ahead on their you know the quality of their um semiconductor chips that are in everything yeah So massive quality coming but it's up 113 percent already this year it's on a
0: on a relative basis it is like an anomaly amongst tech stocks yeah it has gone up when all the others have gone up but not nearly as much like the valuation is mind-boggling um which is interesting we've actually got a question on nvidia which i didn't know we had in the questions before i was just told this morning to make sure you mention nvidia in the podcast because people are talking about it and i was like okay
1: they're up 25 percent overnight Oh, really? Off in aftermarket trading, I think.
0: Oh, well, that, okay. I mean, the ticket terminal doesn't show that. It's just $305 a share. But yeah, I mean- 24%
1: yeah, overnight. Yeah.
0: It's just kept growing and growing and growing. Near, let's just bring this up. Um, near back to pandemic level highs in terms of the price to sales ratio. Not the best valuation metric in the world. I got it. But near like all-time highs <laughs> in terms of that. Fantastic business, as you said. At the sweet spot of every buzzword you can think of. Yeah. But is it the right price? Maybe not. Um, Okay, good to know. All right, we're going to answer some questions. Uh, And in these questions, we will be delivering general financial information only. It's not personalized financial advice. If you want personalized financial advice, you should see a financial planner, like, say, Drew here, or any financial planner. Check their AFSL on the MoneySmart website. That's moneysmart.gov.au. You can look up financial advisors there. Uh, And it's important to remember that even if you do ask a question – we really do not know who you are and we prioritize questions because we don't actually, we genuinely do not know who you are because you give us a funny name as well. We prioritize the funniest names to answer on air. So um, the funnier the name, the better your chances are of winning our weekly prize, which is the Value Investor Program. It's a full investing curriculum available on Rask Education. It's normally 499 clams. It's yours uh, for the low price of free if you are selected as the best questioner name so the first question Drew comes from Billy Binjuice. Now this is quite a perplexing one for me. Billy Binjuice says I'm 52 and never thought of investing until now. And I'll paraphrase a few fair bit of this because there's a yeah, it's quite a long question. I haven't got much money, but could definitely stop buying a few cups of coffee to use for investing, don't do it. I, I could invest about $100 a month. Is it too late for me to set up retirement no later than 60? by investing now. Dot, 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 dot. I have invested about $1,000 so far, $500 in an ETF, and the rest across a couple of different companies. I love tech, so I've researched a few and went with, you betcha, NVIDIA, another company I've never heard of, and another company that I have not heard of. Um, thanks in advance, and I listened to all of your podcasts. Good work. Well, thank you, Billy Bin Juice, for writing in and lis- listening to the podcast. Um, we do appreciate the question. We're gonna to stick to general financial information only. So I'm actually gonna paraphrase this question, Drew, and hand it over to you, which is that at 52 years of age, not necessarily just this person, but anyone, is that too late to start thinking about retirement?
1: It's never too late to start thinking about retirement. Okay. Best day to start is now. Well, sounds, you like, got a, sounds like a proverb or something. <laughs> Uh, i th- but I think obviously it depends <laughs> yeah. on your age cohort like are. your lifestyle what like do you have family it's it's interesting that people probably don't understand that your 50s to 60s can actually be the peak saving and earnings year so it can feel like yeah, your just, 20s and 30s are a release mess. the kids yeah exactly yep. that's when kids finish if you've got private school if you've got other expenses they're all kind of finished school they don't uh, not not a major expense anymore, and that fifties can be where you got max your, your disposable income peaks, or your income peaks, and your expenses start to fall, and that's when you can kind of put away a heap for retirement. Um, obviously, there's lots of variables in that, and how much you need to retire, do you, can you retire at sixty? What does retirement look like? You still working part time, where you get you know the age pension that requires you to be sixty seven now. So all those sort of variables have to come into it.
0: Yeah, but, there's I mean there's things here we don't have we they did mention in their question that they have an australian super and a uk one which is like you would want to get advice around that as well um and we don't know things like living arrangements so like house not house um income like if so my thinking is if someone can save a hundred dollars a month to invest one of the there's something going on like if, if if the retirement is such a focus there's a you know, the oldest financial planning joke is earn more. Um, And I don't say that glibly, like it's actually a genuine remark is like finding ways to increase your salary um, while lowering expenses. At the end of the day, it comes back to that. Um, So we don't really have enough information, but the best time to start thinking about absolutely, as Drew says, is today. uh, Some of the key things to consider. One is like, can you afford financial advice? I think Maybe the question could be inverted as can you afford not, not. to get financial advice? To the home and the living arrangements and obviously the cash flow, which is income and outgoings. Yeah. Um, superannuation and whether you plan to retire in Australia. Um sounds like that might be the option. Uh and then like it's just generally like working expectations. So like Drew said, post 60, if that is your goal, what then? now if we just got given this information from a standing start can only save a hundred bucks a month only has a, a thousand bucks so far i mean you got to start somewhere so it's fantastic keep going but that's i would say not enough to retire at 60 just based on my quick math yeah. um 1200 bucks a year eight Netflix, years yeah. not enough yeah yeah um so keep going um, and then the final piece of this to put a bow on it is the, the one thing that we all can do is have a strategy you yeah. don't need a lot of money to do that. It's just to have a strategy. So sit down, take some time, write down what you want, why you want it, when you want it, um, and be honest with yourself. Look at your um, your bank statements and see what's in there.
1: And I'd always be wary of you know when you're building portfolios that you want to compound over the long term, having individual individual stocks, like four
0: stocks within it. Yeah. You know,
1: and without Free having stocks. a real core set up first. That's always yeah. what we try to get that Absolutely. core right and then move from there. Core stuff like um, And I came up with a pretty interesting word. I didn't realize, lithium, which is pretty good timing for- yum."
0: <laughs> <Lithium. laughs> is that what really- just, You did put that in there. It is very- It's not so much yum" at the moment, but maybe it is. Maybe it's bottomed out. That's a good question, Billy binjuice And a lot of people get a bit of, I don't know, they get a bit down on themselves when they write into us and say, I'm only starting at 50. We had one- uh, last week on the finance podcast, I'm only starting at 40, and here's me. Uh, I'm 32. Just check myself. <laughs> um, just Older sure. than Franken Credits. Uh, no, younger. no, I am younger than Franken Credits. Um, I think oh, I wish I started earlier. You know, and everyone says the same thing. So keep going um, and build on what you got. Um, Kathy, tell me a bedtime story. Says. Could have just put that in the sentence. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts on Ark Invest's two thousand dollar price target for Tesla in twenty twenty seven? Note: I did not fat finger an extra zero. Drew, over to you. U.S. dollars. Well, I'm guessing U.S. dollars. I don't think she's. Putting it in Aussie dollars for us.
1: I mean, it's not- I I thought maybe this was three three years ago or two years ago, but you reminded me it was about a month ago. Yeah, that's Um, a month ago. She was on CNBC. I mean, she's a bit of a lightning rod, old Kathy Wood. Yeah. uh, Just for her kind of ambitiousness and and optimism around technology. Um, And I don't think, you know, when you think how does a stock go from $200 to $2,000, what do you predict? It it requires- like an Apple or Microsoft like step change in technology and for that company to own it. I think that's incredibly difficult to predict and or to rely on. So this is essentially if you're saying two thousand dollars, I assume you mean yeah. Tesla wins the automotive or autonomous, you know, driving has the best technology and therefore becomes the the Apple or the, you know, the Apple environment of uh you know the closed environment yeah. of, of autonomous driving that's the the way this sort of thing happens and it's been successful so nick griffin we talked all the time at munro was he, a guy that was able to understand the massive total addressable market that no one else could see in things like amazon and apple back in the day yeah. or that it wasn't about the hardware it was about the software
0: mm.
1: and they say the same about tesla that their software and tech is so much better than everyone else that the hardware does not actually, the cars don't actually matter. Mm. Um, So, I mean, it's, you wouldn't say laughable. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, it's only 10, it's only 12x from here. Yeah, only 12x, and it's already up 100,000x, 1,000x probably. (laughs) The
0: problem that you have is though, Drew, no predictability. Good point. And all fair comments. The problem that you have is that it's um, a 500 and, let me just check my numbers before.
1: $50 billion company, you're telling me. (laughs) Yeah. The first $6 trillion company.
0: It's, yeah, it's, it's, I did. What do you think would happen if interest rates fell it's to s- zero again? It's a $570 billion company today, which would mean that it has to get to $6 trillion. That's a big cookie. What,
1: would, what if interest That's rates a fell lot to of, zero?
0: I think if you added all of the other would car companies halfway? together. If what? If interest rates fell to zero? Yeah. Well, if interest rates fell to zero, Dr. Um, Andrew Parikh Edith. Patel, oh, sorry. BA, CFA, ACCA Esquire on Twitter uh, has this analysis that he did back in uh, 2020 at the height of the coronavirus pandemic. He had his uh, intrinsic value estimate for the Tesla stock price, (laughs) which went something like this, share price $664, stimulus check $600, fair value $1,264, upside 90%. And so I think at the end of the day, a lot of these stock targets and price targets that people have, can be summed up in a little bit of a joke sometimes, but not always. Like Sometimes the people that come out and they're very bullish, and maybe they're genuine in their intent, but I would just say be very cautious about those. Um, we talk a bit about them, and I will talk about one of the, the price targets in a minute for a company, uh, and I'll source the, the data, which is uh, ticker.com T-I-K-R.com. Um, and to be honest, I'd never take someone else's price target as my own. Because what happens is, you might buy into the thesis now, and I found this because I was running newsletters, and we had you know thousands of members and whatever, and I would find this with our members, that I would write this really comprehensive report, or our analyst team would write these really comprehensive reports, and our members who didn't like even just take a little bit of time to read our full report or go into the company's annual report or watch a product demonstration video, or hear the CEO talk. Those were the members that were much more likely to come back and be like, is it still a buy? Is it a sell? Should I do this, should I do that? And not that there's anything wrong with that, that's why we're getting paid. But I just think, what's the saying? You can't inherit someone else's conviction. Yeah. You can't just absorb it. You have to build that yourself. And if someone comes out and says $20,000 price target on uh, Tesla rather than 2000 is that outrageous? To be honest, I, I don't know enough. I'd, have to, I'd say that that'd have to be a bull case. Yeah. Because exactly. if I go into, and this is the
1: point- I'm, There'd be I'm re- multiple multitude of outcomes from there. Yeah. And that would rely, on, yeah. there'd be so many things we'd have to go right for that to be the case. And it wouldn't include a potential change in the discount rate. So
0: if I look at the current expectations for- um, Tesla stock price. So this is just like right now, the latest data that I can find. So the ticket terminal is 189 dollars a share. Yeah. So that's for today's price. Little, I don't know what's going to happen in four years. That would still be a 12x. Yeah. So she must be baking in incredibly high upside in revenue, and margins and new markets. Yeah, which it could do because
1: it's an incredibly scalable business. Maybe Twitter becomes part of it and Twitter but takes maybe. off. Maybe,
0: maybe that. Yeah, they put Twitter in the the cars. Maybe <laughs> don't let Twitter drive it because Twitter would just steer you straight into the wall. To the gutter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, great question. We just It's uh, one of those questions, unless we know her assumptions, I think that's probably the way I'd summarize it, is all of these price targets are fantastic, but you need to know what goes into them because garbage in, garbage out. Um, next question comes from Household of Cards, starring Andrew Deremuth. I have a house deposit of 80K with a goal of 100K that I don't trust myself with. A small investment portfolio of twenty k. What is the best way to make the deposit untouchable, grow it with ongoing deposits, and also put the funds inside it to build and compound? Um, I'd say pretty term, common question. I'd say term deposit. Yeah. If you don't want to have touchy touchy on the term on the money, <laughs> term deposit for however long.
1: You you, you think yeah.
0: you're going to need to have it in cash before you start to look at purchasing? And then the extra amounts just add it to a cash account a savings account.
1: Yeah, I mean you get five percent in a normal transaction account at the moment, so yeah, it makes sense to just go into that. And I always put with this one, it depends: mm. is your deposit needed in the next six to twelve months, or yeah. is it ten years from now? Is it? Yeah. If it's six to twelve months, we would never take any risk. you want know, yeah. to you want it, you want it as, avail- as available as possible.
0: Yeah, uh, another thing to do might be if you have a family member or a friend, uh, you might be able to transfer the money to them um not saying that you have to trust them a lot but i've heard of this happening with family for example where parents or someone like that might say well hey we'll look after it for you until you're ready uh to take it it's kind of like abdicating responsibility which is not a great thing like you as um a friend of the show luke larrative said at our event last year you got a Sometimes you just got to pull up your pants and just get it done, um, and roll up your sleeves. Um, no, We're trying we, to be less broy. so yeah, go, wanna, with the sli- uh, yeah. <laughs> go with a slit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Go with all your socks. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway, eventually you're going to have money that you can access, and so you've got to create within yourself both like the logistical barriers of like maybe putting in a determined deposit or something like that, but also the behavioural barriers, like knowing yourself and and what is good or not good for you long-term. But you could term deposit, not just general speaking, like a lot of people do that in our community. Um, I would never invest it. Not if no. I was going to use it as an, like that's one of the itchy trink- triggers that people pull is they're like, I need to spend this money now, or I need to invest it to do something with it.
1: And don't think inflation's an issue, like in a 12 month period. If no. will wanna talk about inflation, you can't have a term deposit because inflation 7%, term deposit is 5%. you are still getting 5% of cash in your pocket. And yeah. inflation, that's not money that you're spending on groceries. That's money that's going towards a deposit on a finite amount of yeah. property that you wanna buy. Absolutely. Particularly over a short period of time. It's
0: good on you for saving up and keep on saving. That's fantastic. Um, I wouldn't have an investment portfolio as part of my deposit, just including that on the end there. Like, I wouldn't consider that as part of it. Next question comes from vasectomy, spelt V A S dash ectomy. Because, Drew, why is it called vasectomy?
1: I mean, he's trying to get rid of his VAS.
0: <laughs> so he's trying, or she is trying say, VAS meaning the VAS ETF, Drew, I don't know what your mind's going to get your head (laughs) out of the gutter. So, VAS VAS (laughs) says, I've recently started investing in VAS and VGS. However, I've just seen BGBL has been released by BetaShares as a competitor to VGS with lower fees. What are the main differences between these, VGS and BGBL? And would it be worth changing to A200 slash BGBL if... I've only started executing
1: my strategy to lower, uh, to leverage lower fees. Um, I'm always wary of changing like for like, like on the first level. That if you're changing, if you're talking VGS versus BGBL, you're talking about two international, broadly MSCI tracking strategies. Whereas VAS is the Australian shares. Yeah, and it's like, is this just a one of our clients called it a standing still cost, where you just churning money to, to go in the, essentially in the same position, not much change. Uh, in terms of the difference between VGS and BGBL, uh, they're slightly different index. So, beta shares, tracks sell active. Mm-hmm. I don't know that index well, but I assume it's very similar to 1500. MSCO. 1500 stocks, market yeah. cap weighted, all the same, all usual names. Uh, and I think because of the index provider, they're able to do it at lower cost. Mm. So, 18, point, 0.18% for Vanguard versus 0.08 for BGBL. And I think costs matter. it's one of our golden rules, save okay. your costs in some areas. Yep. Um Go but on. I honestly don't know enough about BGBL and we haven't looked at it as a, yeah, a profession within portfolios, yeah. It's
0: still early days for a lot of people that research these things. Um yeah, I mean, it's a valid question. We've had this debate between A200, VAS, IOZ, STW for donkey's years. Um and it's fair, a lot of new investors will probably just stick with beta shares. I think it's pretty hard. It's still pretty hard to go past VGS given how big of an ETF it is and how well established Vanguard is in this space. Uh, but I could see why so many people swap it out. Um, a lot of the th- considerations that people make for in- the finance industry is quite interesting. Um, a lot of the assumptions that we base decisions on is based on a zero tax environment. It's based on this environment where you don't pay tax so it's free to buy and sell, Yeah, um, which is true in some parts of the world at some ages, like retirement, for example. But for most accumulators that are building money up, there is both the frictional cost, as Drew said, but there's also a tax implication potentially. And so you know, if you have a sum of money in VGS, would you just up and sell and go to a new thing if it's very similar? Probably not. Like you'd have to weigh that up on a case-by-case case basis, but you probably wouldn't. And you might be seeing on
1: gains as well. Is it something you really want to?
0: Yeah. See. If why would you sell, incur thirty percent or forty percent or whatever the capital gains tax rate is on your improvement, just to save a little bit in fees?
1: And the marginal cost of adding another, like if you if instead you started adding yeah, another add, ETF yeah. for future savings, the cost of incremental cost of that is. Negligible because yeah. it's already on the registry and all your paperwork's already provided. So that would so, probably be an option that people take. Yeah, that you start b- expanding your core by having you maybe wouldn't have exactly a, such a similar strategy, but expanding your core by adding other ETFs to it mm. rather than switching between what's there.
0: So I think of it as like overall, what's the exposure, and the overall exposure is basically going to be identical. Yeah. Um, so for a lot of new money, it's not what you and I are saying. It's not people selling to buy. It's actually just people just buying more of the new one. Um, And that's probably the thing that to keep in mind. Okay. So um, we've got time for probably a few more here, Drew, but snout in the trough. This is actually quite an interesting one. Um, And they start off with, get a finance (laughs) post and Andrew. Or Finney's. We can't say that anymore. We're Finney's. I've been investing since late 2019. What a ride. I find my value snout quivering at the current price of Alders. Seems like it's the sort of stock that's perennially impacted by seasonal shite, which means it can also occasionally appear on sale if you can find the courage to pluck it out the mire with a longer-term view. Lots of interesting (laughs) language in this one. Wondering what your thoughts are, broskies? Stick the snet out in the trough or look elsewhere, in a non-personal advice kind of way, of course. Uh, So we're just talking about Alders. For those of you that don't know, Alders is like this business that has transitioned over the years. Um, It's a rural-type business. Originally, it did kind of everything like feed and uh, own property and so on and so forth, and it's kind of cleaned its business up in the last few years to try and focus on the things that really matter to the business. Um, And to be honest, it's performed pretty well recently. So the segments of the business include the branch network, the products, feed, and processing services, and other services. So, you can think of it like distribution, agricultural products, um, real estate agency, I think is still in p- included inside the business. Um, Drew, I don't know if you have much insight into the I've, agricultural sector in Aussie land.
1: I've looked at it a little bit and it's always, you know, with it's similar to any materials or commodity company that it's always going to be cyclical. And it's incredibly hard to buy. I think, I don't know if the rule applies for this, but you've heard the rule about buying mining companies when their PE is high, not when their PE is low. So the PE of this is eight. At the moment, it's fallen 35% this year. Just year to date, I think it was on a couple of downgrades. Um, But I think when we're building portfolios of, you know, if we're holding a 15 stock portfolio, you want the highest quality companies. And these agricultural and seasonal and cyclical tend to have too many variables. You'd think the same when you're trying to value them. There's too many variables and too many things that can go right or wrong or right in any given year to have a lot of um, confidence. Absolutely, in the long term, I think like every mining or materials company, it seems like, and I don't advocate trading, but it's a more of a momentum company where it's in an upgrading upgrade cycle. You know, beef prices are going up, different prices are going up, input costs are falling. That it's kind of one of those ones that you'd you'd. Potentially engage an active manager that's working in mid caps because a mid cap to trade it more regularly rather than a so seasonal it's hard to, you know, be comfortable mm-hmm. holding it for five or ten years.
0: I remember reading a, a report many years ago by a guy called Donnie Buchanan, who's the um, chief investment officer and co founder of Lakehouse Capital. Um, I remember reading it when he was at the Motley Fool. That was quite a few years ago, and I dare say that's before the company's like. Been on absolute tear and good on Donnie for, for picking it. Um, businesses perform really well. It's one of those businesses that I don't really get a lot of conviction in. I think it's a good business, been around for a very long time, um, but it's just not a business that I can build a lot of conviction in because I simply don't know a lot of the things that are important to this business. Yep. Um, I'm more than happy to stick in my wheelhouse of software technology. It's, you could argue that it's an industrial business, but that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I was actually trying to find in the lead up to this recording, I was actually trying to find a research report on elders and I don't have one. So normally what I'd do uh, is I'd go and read some research, whether it's from Morningstar or one of the the big institutions before answering a question like this to jog my memory, but I couldn't find any research. So, um, apologies that neither of us have really a lot of info to to add there. The next question comes from Captain Corelli's Mandolin Credit Crunch. (laughs) This is one for well, that you, Drew. A Nick Cage movie? Nick Captain Corelli's Mandolin Credit Crunch. Hey chaps. Vanguard's VTIP, short-term inflation protected securities. I get that it invests in US Treasury bonds. What is the advantage of this ETF over, say, VGB, the Australian government bond ETF? Would you hold both, or is it overkill in a portfolio? Are US bonds a safer place than Australian government bonds? Keep up the great podcast.
1: Just an FYI, Captain Crowley was starring Nick
0: Cage. Oh, us. really? Okay, so we did get that right. You weren't and, going off and the- And Penelope, Penelope Cruz. Oh, right, uh,
1: okay. And Christian Bale. So, like the reference. Very interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Go on. I mean, uh, bang. Uh, so you're talking about inflation-protected securities, which are typically seen as an inflation hedge. Yep. How they work, to my understanding, is that the, the uh, capital value or the, the par value, so the $100 value of that bond, is increased every year or Mm -hmm. every quarter based on the rate of inflation for that quarter. So it's like an inflation, saying it's inflation protected because the value of your capital goes up at the same rate as inflation uh, and your income would be indexed or or couponed off that. Um, I think one of the, I've read quite a few articles uh, on this over the last few years because inflation protected securities didn't actually perform that well when inflation hit. And there were two reasons, there was one main reason for that. Uh, And it's because if inflation, if bond bond yields are rising at a rate that's faster than inflation is increasing the capital value, you can actually lose value of these bonds. Uh, You know, if you if you know Mm. what I mean, the credit spread or the, the the yield differential is moving quicker than the inflation benefit. That's increasing the value. It sounds incredibly complicated, <laughs> um, but it isn't just about the inflation side. If the entire market is changing, like every every government bond in the world uh, decreased significantly in value by about fourteen or fifteen percent in twenty twenty two as interest rates increased, these bonds are also impacted, mm. and they only benefit from inflation after the fact and continue to kind of roll on to that now. Um, the other part I heard, I saw when I was researching was that. Uh, It's such inflation-protected securities are a very small part of the bond market, multiple trillion, I think $100 trillion bond market Mm -hmm. or something like that. I could be making that up. Someone fact-check me. (laughs) Um, But inflation-protected securities are incredibly small and they tend to be used as a hedge for a Mm -hmm. lot of hedge funds or long-short strategies, which means they don't always react in the way you'd expect they would when inflation increases or um, other events occur. That said, keep it simple, stupid. I'm not calling people stupid. <laughs> but, uh, you know- Or is it? <laughs> the The whole con con you know, the concept of in, investing for long-term is that you grow your capital at a rate of inflation. And you do that by having a diversified portfolio mm-hmm. of assets, not by a single holding. So I think bank, like traditional government bonds at the appropriate time and weighted appropriately will always be, you know, less risk and having less of a bet on the outcome than in something more niche like inflation protected,
0: what's interesting is this uh, ETF. If I'm not mistaken, Drew, this ETF is actually a US ETF. A US ETF, yeah. and the reason that I bring that up is it's also what that means is you're buying it from the Nasdaq. F- fair enough, but that means it's unhedged. Yeah, and so you could lose it. Yeah, yeah. So, say for example, let's just take the let's just take the the return of the 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 VTIP, Inflation Protected ETF, since over the past year, the actual price of the ETF has gone down 0.04%, so flat, right? But in that time, the currency has fluctuated significantly. And what's really important to understand is that when you invest in one of these things, so the currency has fallen from about $0.71 to around about $0.65, so that you would have made money perhaps on just holding the investment in US dollars. But normally when it comes to putting a position in your portfolio, which is like on the defensive side, is we say to have it hedged because it means that the currency can't wipe out whatever defensive capabilities that ETF might have. Yeah. So yes, the ETF might hold up, but if the Australian dollar goes wild, then- Wiped out in a couple just, of days. Yeah, you'd be wiped out. There's no point in holding it for- you know, one percent return over a year if the currency moves one percent in a week. So, um, so I do not think that in really any way that these, w- in my mind, be compare like fighting for the same part of my portfolio, because the Australian product is, if I'm not mistaken, Drew, just a very vanilla Australian government bond ETF. Now, you could say that the U.S. sure, you know, it's the greenback, it's the, the the dominant reserve currency of the world. There's defensive c- features of that currency and of that country for sure but from a portfolio perspective i'd actually say personally i would say that's actually a riskier thing in a portfolio because of the interesting movements with inflation yeah and secondly because of the unhedged bet um, whereas the australian government bond it might be more susceptible to what happens here in australia but at least you don't have those unpredictable moves yeah if i'm looking internationally i'd go more diversified for a government bond ETF than
1: just that one. bit niche, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So, we've probably got time for two more, Drew. Um, which two do you Knowing want? Oh, us. Oh, actually, I'd like... Can we jump to the next one? Bide biden my time. my time, because I do like this one. It's what we referenced earlier on. Uh, I've got a position in a youth fashion brand, UNI.ASX, that seems to be suffering from the old price speculation virus, in my opinion. I look at a variety of factors, including statistical youth unemployment rate. And anecdotally, music's events selling out, restaurants being hard to book in capital cities. To, to help calm my panic sell button, what are some other sources that investors can look to to guesstimate the stability of an industry in between reporting seasons? Drew, I'll start with you.
1: I thought get super simple on this. Um, you know, retail, we've kind of mentioned in the opening, interest rates going up is impacting retail significantly, but it's impacting different companies completely differently. Yeah. so like the jb high fives might be doing well some other discount retailers aren't some luxury are doing incredibly well so it's very difficult to to understand who's doing well or not i'm like get old school go go to the mall don't be don't look we don't I say mall. yeah go to that. the shopping center go to vicinity go to chadston yeah. And, yep. and okay. Keep it in the family. I yeah. Actually, I get lost in chats every time I go there. So, um, <laughs> <I don't laughs> you're <like> definitely <laughs> putting on your old you got your glasses on, <laughs> mate. <laughs> but go and look. Like, are people spending money? Like, they came out. I you know we probably didn't mention this came out. We must have got this question before today. Today, they offered a downgrade yeah. and said the uh, uh, shares fell 25%. I maybe we did mention that too. It's been a long day. Um, so, Biden, my time's got very bad timing. timing. <laughs> I (laughs) was wishing you sold it. Sorry. Uh, But I think the only way you're going to know is by going out and sitting there and, you know, are people, which shops are people going into, you know, follow some people around, not badly, but look around the shopping center, which ones are they, where are the lines, where are people actually buying and not shopping? And it could just be, you know, uh, activity for a few weekends. If you, if you really want to know what's happening. It's down it, 40%. It's probably an underappreciated way down. to look at your investment too.
0: Yeah, I remember chatting to a bunch of investors and we used to do this as analysts, go around and look at the... I'm not that interested in dusk candles, <laughs> but I will go into a store if I'm researching dusk the business Yeah, and I will ask them and I won't just go to one, I'll go, go to multiple. Um, but I remember a lot of like really good analysts would, for example, just sit outside stores with a clicker And just click and see how many times people are going through this particular store. And then they'd go back six months later, do the same thing. And it's honestly just, it's a tactic, but it can work if you really want to put in the work to understand businesses. But I recently did a, not recently, it was about a year or so ago, did an update for our old membership site on the 10 reasons why people would probably sell an investment, which is probably worth just highlighting those right now. I'm actually thinking, I'll just make this a public article in the future, but... I'll just read through the 10 things number one you need the money that makes sense why you'd sell the valuation so the company has gone past your intrinsic value i'm pretty slow to sell based on intrinsic valuation but if it's too ridiculous i will take some money off the table number three the company's being acquired number four you think there's a better return elsewhere which is completely reasonable um hamish douglas when i talked to him years ago and um he was referencing someone else and i think chris judd of all people said the same thing Uh, is that he thinks of investing like a, a soccer team or a sports team, where if there's, you got your 11 players on the field for soccer, however many in footy, um, you take the player that's underperforming off the table and you put the new one on or you rest your gun and you put your new player on. And that's very normal. And that's called opportunity cost in finance. Uh, Number five is for tax purposes you sell. Number six, for temporary shocks or headwinds. You might think, I'll get out now and get back in, but those are typically, when I say temporary, it could be years. Uh, Number eight, you've reached your investment goal. Wouldn't that be nice? Number nine, you need to rebalance your portfolio, which is what we talk about a lot, which is this idea of sometimes you need to make a change in your portfolio because your strategy has gone to plan or not gone to plan and you need to rebalance. And number 10, your thesis breaks. And this is the one that I want to labor on a second, Drew. So there's obviously a reason you bought this company. You say that there's like statistical reasons and then anecdotal evidence. I would just say, make sure that those reasons that you own are strong still relevant, and they're yep. still relevant. Like make sure that not just use, so there's this saying in personal finance and investing, you could probably apply it to, that people tend to buy emotionally and justify logically. So for example, you might say, I love that dress you spend 180 bucks on it, you said, but I will wear it more than once. Um, there's, oh, I, you know, you go and buy a house, uh, you've spent too much on it, but it's such a great house. It's on a good good street, and you find you kind of embellish what the true fact is. Yeah, and so people tend to do that in investing too. So I'm not saying that's you in this case, Biden. My time, but maybe just make sure that the, the reasons, the statistical and anecdotal reasons that you bought are rock solid, and they're still rock solid, because if not. You know, there are 2,100, 2,200 other shares on the market you can look at. Um, there was a quote in there, or at least Jazz on our um, RAS Media website did say that the company was on track to deliver record sales because they said the new stores have performed well and the business has, quote, successfully, successfully adjusted its offering to cater to the changing preferences of customers, end quote. This is a business that owns four different brands, Universal Stores, Thrills, Worship and Perfect Stranger. Um it says that it, it focuses on selling on-trend apparel products to a target of 16 to 35 year olds. Yeah. Don't own it myself.
1: No. Okay. It's, again, it sits in smalls and mids, incredibly difficult to know, aren't they? Hard to get good research on too.
0: Absolutely. Um, why don't you pick the last question, mate? Uh, can we go with the
1: one where I started with, it depends? I love it when you start with a dependent. I think everyone just, you know, really enjoys this. There are a lot of questions that start with Andrew Derriman, so I'm always (laughs) excited to see those. There Um, are many questions uh, in here. This Um, one's and dependent investor. And dependent investor. And what do they say? Hi, Aussie investors. As someone new to investing, I really appreciate your podcast and the way you both explain and answer questions. There's there's one. (laughs) (laughs) Mine's about choosing ETFs. I know it depends on it. It depends. I always love it when someone puts it depends in their question. Yeah. Because in so much in life, it does depend. Context matters. Exactly. Uh, It depends on an individual's goals, portfolio and personal preferences. But when there are so many out there with similar returns, fees and exposure, how would you recommend someone starting out could approach choosing two or three to invest in long-term would you consider your exposure within your super fund? So, I assume what your super fund is allocated to when you're building your ETF portfolio outside super. Um, and you don't have to read this out loud, but we want it to anyway. So, yeah, yeah, thanks, and that's dependent investor.
0: And dependent investor.
1: I think it's a perfect one for you.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, so I've got a few things for this. Um, we can't give personal advice. But what we can say generally speaking is that we always start with the core of a portfolio. So, these are the boring things. Now, I always think about this. I always think like if I had a let's be honest, a young male in their 20s and they walked up to me and said, what should I invest in? I go, just put it in Vanguard, mate. They'd go, oh, you go Vanguard? To the, you know what? they'd go to the next one or just whatever, BlackRock, doesn't matter. Yeah. Just pick whatever. They'd just go to the next um, person that can offer them something sexier. Yeah. So I would say, spend the majority of your money building out your core portfolio. Just make make sure it's ETFs, it's well balanced, you've got some Aussie shares, find the most popular ones and start your research from there. Um, Aussie shares, you've got um, some international shares. And then what I would do is I would also start in a separate brokerage account, I would also start a watch list for stocks. And I would start reading through the annual reports. Um, And the reason I say to do this is not everyone should invest in individual stocks, definitely not. Um, And many people will just instead don't do any of this and just see a financial advisor as the first and only base that they go to. But I would say if you can do both of those simultaneously, so slowly start with your ETFs and slowly add to that, but then also have your watch list for your individual stocks and study those companies on your watch list for a few months. Start with the brands that you know, maybe follow some analysts that you really respect or you'd like the sound of, but just be aware of their disclosures. Um, and that's how I would start it. And in terms of where to find ETFs and those types of things, you can head to our Best ETFs website. It's just bestetfs.com.au. It has a full list of all of the ASX ETFs uh, and some free reports on there as well that you can just look at. and. You'll understand what the ETFs do and how they can, can be compared uh, with other ETFs.
1: I think that comment around the watch list was something we missed and were called out on at the ASA event a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, we? uh, And it was something we missed or, or I missed on stage that I t- talk about a lot with clients is when you're trying to transfer wealth and knowledge mm, on investments. Point. What you're saying is that get your core right, but then have something that's engaging in your watch list that is yep. more personally engaging. Yep. And I thought that was the most powerful part when we – when clients want to gift something to their children, don't gift them, no offense, BHP, BHP shares or Telstra shares like everyone used to. Yep. Gift them something that is relevant to them. It could Nike. be Nike. It could be Nike. It could, be, stock, could be a US stock. It could be an ETF that has a tilt towards consumers or something tech or renewable, something that they can kind of relate yeah. to. And that is incredibly powerful. And that's kind of what you're saying there. So you're not just, you got your set and forget, but you're also engaging with your investments at the same time.
0: We know that... Most people will make the majority of their money from their core, low-cost, easy-to-manage portfolio. Exactly. But we know that most people aren't necessarily waking up every day th- trying to figure out how this finance thing works because they want to know more about ETFs. They're not the- dreaming about beta. No. no they- <laughs> that <laughs> Jamie, should be one of the cold <laughs> Jamie and I dream about beta. <laughs> <laughs> but what they really want to know about is they want to know, well, what makes NVIDIA so fantastic and why does NVIDIA's chips and GPUs make the blockchain possible or- do all that sort of stuff um, or even what like Apple what makes its hardware and software better than say Android or Microsoft or what it makes Microsoft and open AI work together those that's what investing really is and that's what's really fascinating about the world because money does drive the world it's a language that binds all parts of the world um, and so I would say to you build that core portfolio but also don't be afraid to have a very small amount in individual stocks or even if it's something else, like you start your own business with a thousand bucks, go and buy a website and start your own side hustle or whatever it may be, get creative and have fun and really discover what it means to be understanding the business world. And that's what I would say. But just in terms of like specifically to this question around how people think about super funds and their outside portfolio, Drew would say, that at retirement they like to see two-thirds of an investor's portfolio in super and one third outside of it. And you would exclude the primary residence, I'm assuming there, Drew. Yep. Um, definitely. Now when you're younger, I would say that don't include this I'd manage the super separately yep. as a younger person. Um, and I would just consider my actual portfolio and what's in what's my going to impact me my on my brokerage basis, account. Yeah. yeah. Um, because you may want to retire. This is the key thing. It depends, as Drew says. You may want to retire before your, if say if you're 25 or 35 right now, you may want to retire before your insert retirement age in the future, which might be 65, It could 70. be 85 before you be 85. super at some point. Yeah. So, you might want to retire before then, in which case- Flexibility is key. Yeah. Build outside super. Yeah. Uh, that's great, Drew. We've gone an hour and we've done it on very little sleep. Um, <laughs> but there are two things we must do at the end of every- Episode. We did get a lot of questions this, like a lot of questions this week. Please keep sending them in because we love them. And I should have done a better job on Alders if I had a bit more time. I would have done that. So I I apologize. But uh, for those, I think this week's was great for stock investors and for ETF investors. We love those hypothetical questions. By the way, the ones that are like, what would you do if, or if. You know, you could be the CEO of one company, what would it be and why or those countries, countries, that sort of stuff. Send us those questions. We love to just kind of because we can riff on them for 10 minutes and we're super passionate about like emerging markets or in Drew's case about retirement and transitioning and, you know, teaching people. And in my case, it's more like individual stocks and themes and that sort of stuff, uh, as well as building portfolios for both of us. Um, but we've got to pick the, the best question and name to win the Value Investor Program. If you win, you can uh, send me an email or send me a message on Twitter and we'll hook you up with a free pass to the Value Investor Program. So, Drew, you've got to guess and I think you've got to pick one and I think I know which one you're going to go
1: with. I didn't mind Kathy. Tell me a bedtime story. Really? I, yeah.
0: I thought you were going to go with Captain Corelli's mandolin credit crunch.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not that much of a Nick Cage fan. Oh
0: yeah. no, sorry Nick Cage, and sorry everyone, sorry Captain Corelli. So we've got um, Kathy. tell me a bedtime story. If that's you, uh, if you are Kathy, tell me a bedtime story, you have won the Value Investor program, so send us uh, a message or an email. You asked the question about what are your thoughts on Arc Invest's $2,000 price target on te- Tesla, and we basically said, well, it depends on the assumptions. So <laughs> it depends. Um, price targets don't be misled by them. Make up your own mind. You can't absorb someone else's conviction. Uh, Drew, over to you to take us out into the
1: afternoon. Uh, Andrew Deremuth, joke of the week. Yeah, I think this one fits because it's related to what I'm going to do tomorrow. Okay. Oh, Jesus. This could be quite (laughs) interesting as he just makes a face. Go on. Dad said jokes as usual. Dad says jokes. Heard there's a place in France where people always wear clothing a size bigger than they need. Some say it's (laughs) Toulouse.
0: What has that got to do with tomorrow?
1: Oversized (laughs) T-shirts.
0: Okay. Well, on that bombshell- We will leave you to it until next week, Saturday morning, 7 a.m. Um, we really do appreciate your questions. Send them in. We love hearing from you. Uh, you can find Drew at wattlepartners.com.au or there is a link in your show notes that says financial planning. If you're in or approaching retirement, get in touch with Drew. Also, you may see an email in your inbox over the next few weeks if you subscribe to Rask yes. or to Waddle. There is a retirement event coming up in Melbourne. It is free for people over 50 years of age. If that's you... Keep an eye out. Get in contact with us. Visit the Waddle Partners website. Um, come, and see Finneys come, come see the <laughs> Finnies in person. Come see the Finnies in person. We'll have more than three hours sleep, that's for sure. But, uh, Drew, as always, thanks for joining me, mate.
1: It's good to see you.